0: You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello everyone, you're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this podcast. Well, the NCAA tournament is finally here and the madness is starting. We'll talk all things brackets and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 21 of The Bridge. Greetings and salutations, everyone. It is indeed the most wonderful time of the year, and we are on the cusp of what begs to be another exciting NCAA tournament for 2016. Hopefully you all have filled out your brackets, or at least have some sort of idea on how you might fill them out. There is still some time, so don't worry yet. You just need to make sure things are done by Thursday when the games kick off. All day long, all night long, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're in for probably the best four-day stretch of basketball in the entire year. Now, I'm a little disappointed for this week's show. Last week, I did do a podcast. I had it all set to go, talking about a little bit of the NFL combine, but mainly focusing on the retirement of one, Peyton Manning, how his legacy looks now that he's officially retired and where Denver planned to go from there. And then unfortunately, things just unraveled as far as the Broncos and free agency was concerned when they lost their potential starting quarterback in Brock Osweiler. And then the wheels continue to come off the cart when they got Mark Sanchez from the Philadelphia Eagles to potentially be a backup. And where are they going to go from there? So I said, forget it. I put that aside. I will save that for a later date because the Peyton Manning discussion isn't necessarily just going to go away. And I might actually be able to talk to somebody from Denver who covered Peyton Manning while he played, which I was unable to do in that week because of all the hullabaloo that was going on in Denver as far as free agency is concerned. So we put that on the back burner. We briefly light a candle for what will be the one year anniversary of The Bridge on March 21st. I can leave my address in the comments section so you know where to send your gifts and well wishes for one official year of The Bridge podcast. Hopefully things have gotten better for you loyal listeners. I think they have on the production side of things. I've been able to get enough guests to make this show interesting, and I plan to do the same in this show. So we're going to talk NCAA tournament, dive a little bit into the bracket, talk a little bit about some of the teams that were left off this year's list that may have been deserving, some of the teams that may have not been deserving, and who is going to win it all. But I did manage to convince this week's guest to come on and talk a little bit about college basketball, since he does know a thing or two about college basketball as a national college hoops insider for FoxSports.com and Fox Sports One. That guest is Reed Forgrave, who was nice enough to give me a call while he was driving through the cornfield filled Des Moines, Iowa. While getting himself ready for some college basketball, he'll be attending several games this weekend over at the Wells Fargo Arena, but on top of that, he does know a ton about college basketball, and I thought, who better to talk about the NCAA tournament than not me, because I don't know an incredible amount on many of the teams that are playing in the NCAA tournament. So without further ado, let me turn things over to Mr. Reed Forgrave. He's going to tell us about how he thinks the seeding went this year, how the committee did overall, what the mid-major teams can do in the future, who he has in his Final Four, and who he has winning the 2016 National Championship. So I'm here with Reed Foregrave, a National College Hoop Insider for FoxSports.com and Fox Sports 1. You can follow him on Twitter under the same handle at Reed Foregrave. How are you doing, sir?
1: I'm good. I am directly in the middle of nowhere and route from my home in Minneapolis to my former home in Des Moines, Iowa, which uh, actually happens to be a first weekend uh, tournament uh, location and uh, has, I think most exciting uh, the most exciting pod with uh Kansas and Kentucky and Indiana. So it should be a fun one.
0: How many games are you going to be actually sitting through and reporting for in the next couple days?
1: We'll see how many I actually decide to report for. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think what is it? Tomorrow uh there'll be four games back to back to back to back. Right. Uh and then I think it would yeah then it'll be only two uh, the next day. So it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty busy time. It's a uh, pretty fun time too. Like nothing, nothing beats March. It's a headache. It's difficult. I'm already tired. The tournament, like trying to sort of started last night. If you're a fan of calling the first four of the tournament, right. um, but which I am. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's the best time of the year. I think And plus, uh, here in the Midwest. So I know back, uh, back East because I'm originally from Pennsylvania myself. Uh, The weather is turning into spring kind of a little bit early. So it's awesome, man. This is the best time of year.
0: Yeah, it's strange. The weather down here has been great. Our spring sports have started, and they have not started in the gym, which is something that usually never happens here. Before we get into the bracket and the seedings and everything along those lines, I wanted to get your thoughts on this season overall, because it seemed like there was a lot of parity specifically for this season. There was a new number one team every so often, every week and a half, maybe. Whereas last year, there were those dominant teams where you could kind of say, okay, here's three or four teams that are probably going to make the final four. Is it better to have a season like this year where it's harder to predict, or do you think it's better to have something like last year where you kind of have those dominant teams really taking the forefront?
1: Yeah, I mean, we can call it parody. We can call it chaos. uh, Or we can just say, like, essentially there is no hierarchy in college basketball this year. Uh, But, look, if we're talking like your average sports fan who doesn't tune in until after the Super Bowl at the earliest or more likely like this week when the tournament on Fletcher Sunday when everything's announced. Uh, I think this year's hard to follow. Uh, I think the ratings aren't as good as last year because last year there was, there was one big storyline, and can Kentucky go undefeated from February 1st on? That was, I mean, I wrote about that in October. People in college basketball, like, a lot of people didn't think it was going to happen. I wrote in October, hey, this really could happen. Like, this is a reality for the first time in a very long time, the team could go forty and out. Right, uh, but it was it was like Tiger Woods, man. Like when Tiger Woods chased the major, people who aren't golf fans never want to tune in. Tune in because someone's chasing history, and they want to. It's just like be a tiny part of that. Uh, so I think last year for your just average sports fans, uh, it was better. But I think for for the hardcore college basketball fans, I like a year like this where. It's like everyone has a shot, where there's no clear hierarchy, where, I mean, in theory, I, and my bracket takes the opposite tack uh, of the season. I'm saying because of all the chaos, we're going to actually have some form of, of, of normalcy in the tournament. Uh, essentially, this year has been so unpredictable, so what's the most unpredictable thing that could happen? Total chalk in the bracket. You can completely go the other way, where it's like, we've had a year of upset, had parity. What's the difference between a one seed and a five seed this year? not nearly as much as you usually have. It's going to be a chaotic bracket. Like, my uh, my three-year-old son, just so you know, he picked the uh, 14-seeded Green Bay Phoenix uh, to win the title in his uh, first-ever bracket. I'm not sure why. Wow. He delayed their game. Um, he did have them going at the one seed Virginia in the title game. I kind of maybe steered him a little bit toward picking a little bit of chalk. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, i, I take a year like this because for someone who really follows the sport closely – You just have so many
0: storylines. Right. You definitely had more than enough to write about because there's been a lot of great individual players and then a lot of great performances for teams, which leads me to the first question dealing with this. Before I say anything that might tailor any of your answers, how would you rate the committee's performance this year overall as far as the seedings were concerned?
1: Can Can I use swear words on your podcast? You can
0: absolutely use swear words.
1: Okay, fuck that noise. It was the <laughs> worst, like the worst bracket I've ever seen. And generally, I think the committee does an amazing job. I can't even tell begin to tell you how difficult of a process it is to put together this 68-team bracket, complete with the seedings and the AQ teams and the at-large teams, and making sure they go to the right locations and making sure it's fair and equitable. Uh, I've been through two of these mock selection processes that the NCAA puts on for media members, uh, in Indianapolis where they basically they'll you know, walk you through the entire process. You, you know, the, the, the season is done in in mid February and you're there using the exact same computer program, going through comparing all these teams. It is so hard. It's so hard comparing two teams that have like, you look at them. You're like, I see absolutely no difference in this resume. And it's just as hard, if not harder, comparing two teams with completely different resumes, a high major and a mid major, uh, High major like say Michigan that went that had fifteen chances against the top fifty RBI and only won four of them. Compare them against the St. Marys that only had two chances against top fifty RBI teams. Uh, actually, had three because they, they lost to Kentucky in their conference uh, conference tournament. Right, but they you know went two and one in those games, uh, but they only had three chances. Like, how do you compare that? Which team is better slash more deserving? It's a really hard process. This bracket sucks. It sucks the worst uh the reason why is because the mid-major schools are getting a very clear message from the tournament selection committee that they're not really part of this game that the DAC is stacked against us like that's something that we generally know but you would think in a year like this that's as chaotic as this year that there's no there are no powers in college basketball this year you'd think this is the perfect year to put a saint mary's the to put a Monmouth and a Valparaiso, put those teams in the tournament this year, if any year. Um, instead, we're stuck with a crappy Vanderbilt team that didn't belong in the tournament and showed us why against Wichita State the other day. you got a Syracuse team that's just like completely indistinguishable. Like, who cares? Do you think Syracuse fans really care about their, you know, overseeded as a 10-seed Syracuse team that's been one of the more, I don't know, probably one of the worst, Jim Beheim teams in recent memory. Do we really care that much if if your team goes to the tournament and goes to lose in the first round? Or does it matter to a St. Bonaventure fan base, the third smallest school in Division one basketball, uh, that they go to the tournament. They get their one chance that happens once every five or ten years. Uh, I hate that message. I hate it because we love David. We don't love Goliath and Marks. David. Marks is about David. It's not about Goliath, uh, at least until the second or third weekend. Right. And This year, David didn't even get invited to the party. I hate that.
0: So I wanted to bring up a couple of those schools, the first one being Monmouth, even though they're a school that I probably wouldn't be able to find in New Jersey, even if it was right on the Jersey Shore. They seemed to do everything correctly that the committee had been saying for the past couple of years you needed to do to be considered in the tournament. They had a great non-conference schedule. They were a team that I actually remember seeing on television. They played Notre Dame. I watched that game. We know how fun their bench was. They were all over the place. They were all over the news. They had a decent schedule and and decent victories over those non-conference opponents that they scheduled but they had those three losses, of course, to the below 200 teams, which the committee seemed to basically say was the axe that they weren't making the tournament. Why do you think the reason was that they got left out this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, Syracuse had a loss to a below 200 team, too, and they lost to St. John's. Uh, I mean, yeah, I but they
0: beat for- Duke on the road. What a great victory. I know, I
1: know. and you know what? Like it was a great victory, you're right. Um, minus, I think they were hurt by the fact that Two wins that looked great in November didn't look great in March when they beat UCLA, a team that just you know cracked the bed. When they beat Georgetown, maybe the most underachieving team in college basketball this year, uh, they were a five Supertown was below 500 this year. They were they were a shit show. Uh, right. Both of those wins in your normal year, if things play out how you expect, both those wins are top 50 wins for sure, if not top 25 wins. So I think if you would. Included those, especially the top 25 wins on Boston's resume. I think, they, I think that balanced out those bad Um uh, But, yeah, they did everything that the committee said you're supposed to do. They scheduled hard. They won those games. They, like, didn't play at home for the first, like, month, month and a half of the season because they were trying to play a tough schedule. Uh, here's the other thing. It's, like, sometimes, like, we, we think the NCAA is going after storylines in the, in the bracket-making process. But so they're essentially trying to drum up interest so they can make more money, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the case. Um, and I think this actually proves that this isn't the case because I, I think people would be way more excited about a team like Monmouth than a team like Vanderbilt. Uh, and I'm not just saying that the Vanderbilt lost last night, but a team like Monmouth has is, become is kind of like a bit of a national story this year. It would have been all over TV with a bench mob. Right. Uh, like, forget about the basketball part of it. It's it's just a nice it's just a nice story to have. So so it does kind of say, okay, what the NCAA really does is that they're not focused on storylines; they're focused on their criteria, which I I think are completely flawed, way too RPI based, way too skewed toward toward the high major conferences. Uh, I, I do wonder if all the controversy from this year. Ends up, uh, NCAA does listen to the court of public opinion. I know people are laughing as I say that, but they do, they really do. And there's been so much controversy this year. I mean, we didn't even mention that the most controversial team that made the field that's Tulsa. Like, I knew that was doing in there. Disaster, but uh, I wonder if this does make them kind of rethink things. Uh, this year was a it was an anomaly of a year. Uh, this was probably one of the hardest brackets that's ever been put together. Like, I swear it was like 100 teams were on the bubble a week ago. Uh, Not really, but like probably the day before it was selected, there were seven teams that were quote-unquote under consideration. I'm sorry, 21 teams under consideration for the final seventh spot. Right. This was a really hard bracket to put together, but what a disaster, man.
0: Now, NCAA Selection Committee Chairman Joe Castiglione has been all over the gamut on different shows. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get him on here yet, but we'll see if I could do that later on in the week. Do it, (laughs) man. Get him on
1: there. He's athletic director, but uh, his his committee dropped the ball this year. Yeah, he,
0: he might be a little bit busy, and I'm sure he's probably sick of talking about the decisions that were made. But as far as the precedent that has kind of been set this year... It almost seems like teams like a Monmouth or those mid-major teams are better off just really playing to win their conference tournament and not necessarily worrying about their schedule, maybe even pulling a type of Greg Popovich style throughout their season, resting their starters, not making sure that they go too far when they travel, and really just play for that one week of basketball to see if they can get into the tournament that way. Do you think that precedent has kind of changed, and how do you see that looking in the future in the next couple of years as far as those teams that really need to work hard to get into the tournament?
1: I still think teams are going to schedule hard if they want to get in. Because, it's, I mean, we've seen it before that, I mean, a Monmouth resume has made the tournament in the past years. Um, not not the those plus 200 losses. Like, those are the ones that really hurt them. They would have been in if it weren't for those, those losses, the bad losses. But uh, I think teams are still going to schedule hard if they want to, you know, what what was it that Kisiglian said, like, test themselves against iron, I think, something like that. Yes, iron Um,
0: sharpens iron. He used that a lot all through the week.
1: Yeah, but, like, I don't know. If you're a mid-major school, you know that the criteria is a bit of a moving target. John Calipari has talked about that a lot uh, the past several days. Um, I'm actually okay with it being a bit of a moving target. I know it's not a little counterintuitive, but I just I, I like the fact that it is a human process. That it's not just like plug a bunch of numbers into a black box, and spit out your bracket. Uh, but it does make it a. And look, every college basketball season is different, so I'm kind of okay with with there being that context keep human element there. But if you're a if you're a mid major school, I still think you need to test yourselves. I mean, first of all, it's better for the sport of basketball better for your team and it does give you a shot even though it didn't play out this year i do think with all the glamour about it this year uh the committee is going to hear that they're going to remember that next year
0: yeah you'd have to think that (laughs) Mama yeah i hope too you'd have to think they at least have the feeling that they don't have any regrets because they basically did everything they could possibly do except for of course those losses to the below 200 teams that everyone's talking about so as far as uh, those higher seeds are concerned instead of talking about the ones that didn't get in, I guess we could talk about the ones that did. I know a big talking point was Michigan State was on fire at the end of the season once Valentine came back from injury, won the Big Ten, and ended up as the two-seed behind, say, Virginia and Oregon. Were you disappointed to see that? How do you think the committee was able to do as far as the one-seeds and maybe even the two-seeds were concerned with the likes of, say, Villanova?
1: Yeah, I think when, uh, when Michigan State won the Big Ten tournament, to me they were they were in. They were they were one seed for sure. Like, I don't, I don't even think this question. Uh, so it was odd to me. I thought they were, like, probably the third one seed uh, ahead of you – know, beh- I'm sorry, behind North Carolina, behind, obviously, the number one overall seed Kansas. I was surprised that Oregon and Virginia both jumped them. Um, look, I think those are two really good teams. Uh, I'm not sure if Virginia has – look, our RPI this year, for whatever reason – doesn't seem to like the Big Ten. There are some really terrible Big Ten teams that brought down the RPI, and there were some weird non-conference losses, like Wisconsin losing to everybody uh, in November, December, uh, that really brought that down. So I think the, the generally Big Ten teams were a little bit under-seeded this year. So I think that plays a big part in it. Um, I was, I thought it was bullshit. I wasn't like nearly as upset as I was about St. Bonaventure, Brazil, or other teams I've been talking about, because those are the ones that, you know, Michigan State, whatever, if they're a one scene or a 2 scene, they're going to be great parts, so and they're going to shock them at all. Right. I'm not sure if it's all that big of a deal. Uh, and they're, frankly, in a fairly easy region. I'd say, like, the second easiest region next to the West. Uh, so I don't think, and plus, like, if you're talking about Mizo, you use that as, like, the motivation. They just expected us. They don't think we're as good as we are. You know, just a little bit extra motivation for your team. So, to me, it doesn't. It it was wrong. It just doesn't matter all that much compared to like this is a team that has one shot to get in the tournament. You took it away from them based on your unfair criteria.
0: Right. You still have to beat. Who you need to beat, basically, whether you're the one or the two seed. Do you view the South region as the most difficult, considering Kansas is number one, and then you got Villanova, who could have maybe have been a one seed at two, and then looking through at say, Miami, Florida at three, Maryland at five, even California at four, which some people are saying might be the upset pick against Hawaii. But overall, you even have UConn in there, who's been incredibly hot lately. Do you think that's the hardest region we got going? Yeah.
1: I mean, you mentioned California it could be an upset pick against Hawaii, could make the final four. Like that team is super talented. Uh, I would actually say the South is the second, the second toughest region. To me, the East with a North Carolina team that's inconsistent, but could win it all. Uh, and they're, you know, flicking at the right time in every aspect. Uh, two in Xavier that I think is awesome. Like right. I really like Xavier this year. Uh, three seed West Virginia. They could get upset in that first round against the team at Boston, but like that's a, I think the most unique team in college basketball is probably the most difficult to prepare for. And more importantly, the four and five seeds are Kentucky and like Kentucky and Indiana. Like, wow, those are some really tough four and five seeds that UNC would have to go through uh, to get to the final four. So, I'd say, I'd say the East, you can argue the South and you wouldn't you wouldn't be wrong. But, uh, but I, to me, the East is just a little bit tougher, mostly because I, I think Kentucky is I think they look great. I, I put them in my final four out of that region. Uh, I think this team, you know, like a lot of Calipari teams, especially the ones that are that are younger than most, Like last year's team was an anomaly; so there were a lot of veterans on that team. Uh, but this year, this team's young again. They take a little while to gel. Uh Gallup this year is finally doing something for them. He's not doing much, but he's giving them something. This team is clicking at the right time. I would. Uh, I I think they might be. Like to me, they're playing like a one seed uh, red right now, at least a two seed. Uh, so, to me, North Carolina is the toughest route for the Final Four.
0: Yeah, I noticed in the East, it seems like we're going to get a lot of, even in the first, the second round, I should say, games that you might even see in the Final Four. And there's going to be a lot of instances of things go according to plan in the Sweet 16 where it's like, wow, North Carolina has to play Kentucky, and they're only going to get to the Elite Eight. I mean, that's that's just something you don't usually see. But as far as picking the bracket this year, I know you had already written about the fact that maybe this year is going to be one of the few or one that goes a little bit closer to chalk. So are you seeing any early upsets in mind that you want to throw out aside from how you think things are going to go from there?
1: It's funny. I see tons of upsets, tons of upsets. And I picked zero of them. Like my three-year-old, like <laughs> this bracket, he was all about the upsets. He had, you know, Green Bay, the 14th seed, winning the national title over Virginia by a score of 65 to 5. So if that happens, like my son is is Clairvoyant. Is um, but yeah, like like I didn't pick the, the biggest upset that I picked was St. Joe's, an 8th seed, winning in the second round over 1 seed Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, as far as the like the, the three seeds, the four seeds, the five seeds, I think a lot of those teams are facing some pretty dangerous uh, matchups. Look at look at West Virginia playing against Stephen F. Austin. Uh, West Virginia, we know them as West Virginia now. Uh, they have the second-highest turnover percentage on defense uh, of any team in the country. They're so tough to prepare for. Well, you know which team has the number one defensive turnover percentage uh, in the country? It's Stephen F. Austin, the team they're playing in the first round. This is going to be a bizarre game. There's going to be tons of fouls. It's going to be a little sloppy. It's going to be super fun. But it's one of those games that can go either way. Um, when I look at the four-feeds, the 413 games, uh, look at that Iowa State-Iona game. Uh, I think Iowa State will win that game. But they are also, just like that West Virginia game, very similar team. Uh, similar styles. High-scoring, fast-paced. Iona has um, a star, a uh, future NBA player named A.J. English. Uh, and he could easily go off. He, he could be the top scorer of the tournament uh, in this first round. He could go off for 40 points. I wouldn't be shocked. Right. Especially the way Iowa State plays defense sometimes. Uh, so that, to me, is a very intriguing uh, 4-13 matchup. Uh, and then, frankly, like everyone says, pick those. Uh, oh, and by the way, I, I mentioned Kentucky. how They're playing so well right now. That Stony Brook matchup is really interesting. But Stony Brook has a dude, Jamil Warney, who may be one of the better post players in the nation. And as we all know about Kentucky this year, a year ago, they, they had you know, probably the best post player we've seen in college basketball maybe ever. Uh, and this year, it, it, it's a huge deficiency because all those guys went to the NBA. Right. So that's an interesting matchup uh, to be. But if I look at the five twelve games, I look at every single one of them and I say that could be a that could be an upset. Maybe just take all twelve teams to win in the first round. <laughs> it's Not ridiculous uh, to think that Maryland playing, playing a really talented, uh, really well coached South Dakota State team. Maryland's been so consistent this year. Right. They're one of a of a half dozen teams. They probably leave the list of a half dozen people, I think. Couldn't win it all if things suddenly go right, but could lose in the first round. Uh, Indiana, Chattanooga, I, I kind of think Indiana's going to win that, but Chattanooga's one of the better mid major schools in the country, coached by a first-year head coach to be under Billy Donovan in Florida. Uh, Matt McCall is his name. Uh, that's a interesting matchup. Uh, Yale's playing Baylor.
0: Uh, Give me that one. That's the one I'm going with. Give me Yale. That's a good
1: one. It's a good one to pick, man, because you know what? Not just, Yale's a really good team, and I, I like Baylor. They're huge. They're, they're I think, like, among the best post presents in the country, uh, but they're playing in Yale's backyard. They're playing in Providence, Rhode Island for the first time Yale's been in the tournament since almost World War II, so that's going to be a home game for Yale. Right. And then the other, the other five twelve game, you can pick that one, too, uh, and I'm driving some. Oh, uh, Little Rock against uh, Purdue. Uh, Little Rock is a hell of a defensive team. They pressure the ball. Purdue, their biggest uh, weakness is point guard play on offense. So, are they going to have a ton of turnovers against this Little Rock team? Um, Purdue's huge. They have, they're have they probably like the biggest team in the country. Uh, they have two seven-footers, and then Caleb Swanigan, who's, I think, one of the most underrated pressure in the country. Uh, but, you know, point guard play wins the tournament game, so I, I just I want to see someone just go with all twelve seeds in their bracket, and that ends up happening, and they they, they completely win the office pool because they just like said I'm not gonna just pick one 12 seed. I'm gonna go with all of. them.
0: Well, you still have time to sway your son if maybe he wants to take all t- all the twelve seats. So there is there one go. more day, maybe he could do that. Are there any teams that you've seen in person this year that you think could maybe turn some heads in the tournament and really make a deep run into things that you really liked watching play?
1: Yeah, too bad the Valpo didn't make the mix because I think that was a team that could have made a run uh, in March. Uh, two teams. So, like, I am a I am completely guilty of frequency bias, and I was in New York City last week, taking the Big East tournament and the A10 tournament, and both the teams that won those tournaments, I thought looked awesome. Seton Hall. They're just a bunch of playground ballers out there. Like they are cocky, they're emotional. Like sometimes they're out of control. They're like the toughest dudes on the court. Uh, Isaiah Whitehead, he'll do some stuff that just makes you shake your head, uh, both in a good way and in a bad way. Uh, if that team plays lightly restrained, if they don't let their emotions of the moment get the best of them, I think they could easily be a Sweet Sixteen team. Uh, and then the other team from that I saw in New York City, St. Joe's. Winning the A-10, I, I mentioned they were my, my biggest upset pick. Uh, I think they're going to beat Oregon in that second round, the one-seat Oregon. I think Joe's only team in the country that has two players with averaging 17 points and seven rebounds a game. DeAndre Bembry, not only is he a future NBA player, but he has the best hair in the tournament. The <laughs> dude has this like, absolutely fantastic afro that's just like perfectly shaped. Uh, I think he's a guy that, that, that people are going to fall in love with if they win a couple of games.
0: Now, I know there's usually some teams that unfortunately end up getting bounced a lot earlier than they would like to. I know Villanova coming into this tournament is really trying to get over that hump that they've kind of created for themselves as the early exit types of teams. Do you see any big name schools falling into that similar trap this year where there might be one or done or or make it past that round, but end up losing before they even get to the sweet Sixteen?
1: I mean, I really worry about uh, about Indiana because they got a terribly unfair season. and they're going to most likely have Kentucky in the second round, and they have a tough first first round game against Chattanooga. Um, Tom Crean, I had nominated three coaches for this basketball association, basketball writers association, uh, coaches of the year, and I nominated Tom Crean as one of them. Uh, he's done an incredible job. The fact that this team looked like a disaster in early December and won the Big Ten—they looked awesome. Um, and he did it on recreated his team on the fly when he had one of his best players out here, James Black. There's going to be if he doesn't make a Sweet 16, um, it's too Kentucky to make it. Uh, the fan base is going to get up in arms again, and I think it's so stupid, so stupid. Uh, as far as other big name teams that have a tough road, uh, I mean, look at Kansas. I they are my pick to win it all. Uh, I love Kansas this year. I think they are a perfect example of a of a in a gear that values the really good teams, uh, not like the great teams. They're the perfect example of a really good basketball team. They're balanced. They're deep. They got four guys, five guys, could be the alpha dog any given night. Uh, but look at that—the the possibility of facing UConn in the second round. The UConn team that is playing on house money—that you know essentially got into this tournament because of a sixty-five footer at the buzzer in the third overtime right. uh, against Cincinnati. Uh i i would watch out for because there's some talent there they have experience they have a coach who's done it before that's a that's a pretty dangerous second round draw for a team that that i'm picking
0: and then you have a possibility of them playing maryland or california two teams that if they get hot you have to watch out for and then you have villanova of course trying to get that revenge (laughs) if they do make it that far as well so we've got kansas we've got Who else did we say? We've got Kansas and we've got Kentucky going in the final four for you, which is actually two teams that I have going to the final four as well. And I didn't steal your answers before I filled out my bracket. So we're on the same (laughs) page there. Who are your other two teams? And then who do you have going to the championship game?
1: Not like the sexiest final four. Like sometimes I like to throw in a crazy one there. Like last year I had Northern Iowa going to my final four. And I felt pretty confident about that on actually. Heartbreaking. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I got, I got two seed Michigan State and two seed Oklahoma going to the Final Four. Michigan State, because I think they're playing better than anyone in the country right now. Uh, a potential really difficult, uh, Elite Eight matchup against Virginia, but past few years, Michigan State's won that game.
0: Uh, As
1: far as Oklahoma, I don't, I don't trust that team. Uh, I think they're very much like live by the three, die by the three, more than anyone in college basketball. But I don't trust anyone in the West. I think that is the most unpredictable region. Uh, and I just really want to see Buddy healed in the Final Four. I love the idea of Kansas-Oklahoma uh, Part 3. I was at Part 1. It was probably the best regular season basketball game I've ever been to. That, uh, was it was a triple overtime, I think, triple overtime game. that yep. Kansas won at Allen Field out. Uh, Buddy scored 46 points. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, so I'd love to see a rematch of that game. Uh, in the final four. And then I have uh, Kansas over Michigan State. Uh, two teams playing better than anyone in the country uh, in, the, in the title
0: here. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that because I have the exact same Final Four. I basically went <laughs> with Oklahoma over the likes of Texas A&M and Oregon because of Buddy Heel. I think that would be a great story. Even though I'm a Duke fan, I can't put all my faith in six players, unlike last year, because they're just not as good. They're all the role players that they had last year, but now they have to be starters. So that's usually never a good transition, even though they're all, yeah. all Americans, of course. But I am going with... Michigan State just because of what Tom Izzo is, is able to do I think this is a team that's a little bit more veteranized I guess you would say they've been around a lot more Valentine's a great player though Kansas I I'm so on the fence about whether I should pick them because it seems like they have the players that have been on their team for like the past 8 years where you see the same faces like Ellis has been there for I don't know how long he's lost probably more hair in college than he has playing on the court and they have a really great great squad, but I'm I guess I'm going to fade you, and one of us might be doing a lot better than the other. But at least we'll have the national championship game, right? If all things go to plan.
1: There you go. We should. We should. I. Uh, you know, Cam is an interesting team this year because he has the talent, like the first round NBA talent, just all sitting on a bench. Uh, the he doesn't have a first rounder in that in a starting lineup, uh, but he might have three on his bench. So it's a it's a bizarre team, uh, but he's clearly saying, I trust the guy who's been there before, and the team seems to get along. They seem to get each other on the court. There doesn't seem to be any – there just seems to be great chemistry there. So I tend to think Bill Self knows what he's doing as much as uh, anyone in the sport
0: yeah and and he's due I guess you could say as the sports term is concerned and I guess in a way Tom Izzo is kind of due too it's been a little bit of a while for him since he's been in the national championship so if that is what ends up happening I think we'll be in for a great tournament I think we'll be in a great tournament regardless just because of how much parity there is and Even if there are quote-unquote upsets, you could look at them and say, well, I could see that happening. I don't think there's going to be a lot of head-scratchers, even if there are the four-seed beating the one or something along those lines.
1: Yep. I'm with you, man. With you 100%. All
0: right, sir. Well, I'll let you get out of here. I know you got a lot more obligations to do for this day, but I do appreciate you coming on my program, speaking some college basketball, and I know you'll be enjoying the next couple days just as much about as everyone in the country will be.
1: Absolutely. Zero sleep. No sleep till. Uh, I mean, I can say no sleep till Brooklyn. Brooklyn is a first-round site, so uh, no sleep till Anaheim, I guess. Yeah, since you're yeah. on the pretty much the opposite
0: yeah. side of the country from Brooklyn, well, get your <laughs> cell phone chargers ready and get your sleep as much as you can, and hopefully you have a pretty great weekend for yourself.
1: All right, man. Sounds
0: good. All right. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you. That was Reed Foregrave, a National College Hoops insider for FoxSports.com and Fox Sports one Again, you can follow him on Twitter pretty easily. His handle is at Reed Foregrave. That's R-E-I-D-F-O-R-G-R-A-V-E. And I will link some of his work into the show notes for this episode just in case you need some last-minute help on your bracket. Or if you just want to hear his thoughts as the weeks go on and we get closer and closer to the national championship. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can find this episode and all episodes over at londonbridge.com. That's www.lundinbridge.com. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge and you can subscribe to The Bridge on iTunes for all your long trips through Des Moines, Iowa. Next time on The Bridge, we will talk about the opening rounds of the NCAA tournament, which teams moved on, which teams went home, which teams surprised us, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Loved ones are
1: near. It's the moment wonderful time Yes, the most wonderful time Oh, the most wonderful